This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, February 10th, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Staff Writer Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? It's going good. I, I, it was funny. I was I was waiting in this virtual room for Ryan, Ryan to appear, and I forgot that I was in this virtual room, and I was, like, reading an article, and Ryan just, like, said, hey, Peter, and I, like, almost fell out of my chair. Because I, I didn't know that's what was going to appear out of nowhere. Okay, anyways. Uh, okay, let's get into it. Let's talk about some uh, industry stuff first. We, You, uh, yesterday uh, with Ben, were talking about all the Disney earning call stuff. Uh, one thing I want to talk about today is Lionsgate. Because it, they're kind of on a different side of the coin of what they're experiencing. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, so Lionsgate, the studio uh, best known uh, for bringing us the John Wick, Saw, and Hunger Games franchises, is what you call a mini-major. Uh, they're not quite as big as like your Disney's or your Warner Brothers, but they're not as small as something like Neon or STX. They're, they're kind of playing you know, the big boy sport, but at a slightly smaller level. Um, they also reported uh, what is their third quarter for their fiscal year, the earnings for that quarter. Um and uh, Lionsgate was having a rough time like everyone was uh, because of the pandemic and and also because they don't have as many facets of their business to mine to sort of weather the storm. So there was a little bit of uncertainty, but uh, Lionsgate is doing well. Um, they reported revenue of $1 billion in that quarter, um, <clears throat> which was uh, 13% ahead of where it was a year ago. Um, you know, look, their earnings report is not as sexy as Disney's because there's a lot of industry speak. There's a lot of complicated stuff with Lionsgate owns stars. And those numbers are a little tricky because of the way that stars works internationally. They're also looking to possibly sell stars. But anyway, the most fascinating thing of all this, and the reason I wanted to write this up for the site is Lionsgate has about a a library of about 17,000 movie and TV episodes, uh, and that generated $845 million for the company in the last 12 months, uh, meaning that all of these movies and TV shows in Lionsgate's library, and let's be clear, Lionsgate does a lot of, like, direct-to-video stuff, 
They do a lot of VOD stuff. They do a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily register at the box office. That is paying dividends for them in the long run as these library titles are generating money through Blu-ray sales, through foreign sales, through VOD rentals, through licenses to other streaming services. All these ways that a library can generate money, that is happening. Uh, all this stuff doesn't necessarily appear on stars. Some of, you know, Lionsgate's first run movies will after their theatrical run, but, but it's not like stars is an inclusive home for all this stuff. So, so, you know, Lionsgate is able to maximize that library to very, very successful, um, you know, uh, gain. And, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, Lionsgate does stuff like, you know, they looked at like they, they, they're the ones that made clerks three and, you know, while that wasn't like a huge earner, the reason that movie got made, as I discovered at San Diego Comic-Con last year, was that Lionsgate took the, strictly took the home video rights to Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And they sold so many Blu-rays that they gave Kevin Smith the green light for whatever he wanted to do, as long as it was in a certain budget range, simply because they were moving so many Blu-rays. So they're not ignoring that market when many in the industry are and... You know, they looked at something like Shotgun Wedding and said, screw it, let's make a quick sale to Amazon and made some money there. So, you know, they're kind of doing stuff that other people are ignoring. And when they don't dabble with gigantic budget movies, they tend to do well. And like the biggest mistake they made last year was releasing Moonfall, which lost a ton of money. But luckily they were just an investor and not the sole investor in that movie. But still, uh, Lionsgate doing well here. It's just interesting to me, like the story of this whole streaming war Whereas, like, you know, Netflix was the first ones to jump in. They w they had a lot of content from all the studios. They were kind of like an HBO where they were licensing the content. And then, this, you know, they blew up and the studios were like, F you, we're not going to license you, you, content to you. You're becoming a competitor. Uh, so Netflix created their original content. And the original content was doing really well. And then all the studios were like, we, we need to compete with Netflix. So let's all start our new our own streaming services. And uh, <laughs> we saw how all that has gone. And now it's it, it's funny how we're, we've gone around the circle to the point where the people, the studios that didn't start their streaming services are the ones that are doing well. And the ones that did start streaming services, uh, they had to bear the brunt of all the, and to be fair, you know, Disney with Disney Plus is going to make money. Uh, I think Iger said in 2024, they expect to be. To That's what they're even. aiming for. Yeah. By the end of yeah. 2024. And like, let's be clear, Lionsgate. <laughs> you know, they don't have a super diversified business. You know, they're they're getting oh god, what were the revenue figures here? I think they made uh what was it? Um uh 16.6 .6 million um in revenue during the or in income, sorry, not revenue, uh, off of that billion in revenue. Um and, and that was compared to a loss of 45.6 million this time last year. So they're doing well, but you know, that's not eye-popping numbers for an industry that deals in billions, not millions. And, uh, you know, it, it, Lionsgate bought stars in 2016 to get into the streaming game, essentially, and the premium cable business. They paid $4.4 billion for it. And at this point, since last year, they've pretty much been saying out loud that we're going to sell stars. We're looking to sort of separate those businesses, you know, so Lionsgate would be one thing, stars would be another, and stars would get sold to somebody. Um, mm. so they, that would effectively get them out of the streaming business, uh, which is, you know, so, and it would give them a ton of money. And more importantly, it would give Lionsgate a valuation 
because th those businesses would have to be evaluated by anyone looking to buy. And that means if Lionsgate does become the target of an acquisition, they would have a sort of like benchmark figure of like, this is what we're, you know, possibly worth. Uh, so, you know, cause that's what I think ultimately the end game might be here is that if they are going to get acquired, they want to make sure that they have the best price possible. Yeah. I, I just think it's interesting that there's going to be studios out there like Lionsgate that are going to, uh, become like bigger, uh, studios because they're basically creating content that's going to be distributed to other streaming services. Um, which I guess has been the way it's always been. Like if you look at TV, you know, there's most of the projects that like air on like, you know, projects that air on Fox are produced by Warner brothers. Like it's, it's, it, it's always been like, uh, you know, the stuff made by Warner brothers, isn't the only stuff that Warner brothers yeah, shows on it, there. It's always been, it, that was the way media was for popular media was for most of its existence, or at least like for as long as any of us would remember. And it's really funny how it is circling back to that. But what's interesting about Lionsgate is again, like they have a lot of these like interesting direct to video movies that like must do well, either through Redbox, VOD, foreign sales, whatever. And it's just stuff that, you know, the big studios aren't really looking at. And again, where Lionsgate would look at Jay and Silent Bob reboot and go, cool, we'll take the home video rights on that. Sure. Yeah. You know, and like, and they're, they're essentially getting a cottage industry out of Kevin Smith now, you know? And so it's like, you know, they're, they're looking where I, what's interesting. Cause like Disney. And those, he's doing those, his like next couple films with them. I next think. few potentially. Yeah. And yeah. because again, Lionsgate's very happy with the returns on those. Now those returns are not going to be massive for a studio like Disney and a studio like Disney might not even bother, but like, you know, someone can make profit there and Lionsgate is wise enough to go, we'll do it. You know, like we're, we're, and so I think it's working for him. And I'd yeah. like to see, I would personally like to see Lionsgate maintain its independence and stick to sort of the mid low budget stuff instead of pitching for these bigger franchises. And uh, cause I think it would be healthy to have them as an independent entity rather than get absorbed into something bigger. But you yeah, know. well, they were trying to get into bigger things Were they, they were responsible for, were they behind uh, the hunger games? Am I wrong? They were. Lines? Yeah. Yeah. But again, even that first Hunger Games wasn't yeah. nearly as expensive as, you know, uh, what, you know, they would become. But again, I think when something's proven, it's different. Right. You know, because they I wrote a thing about this last year that Lionsgate should very much focus on mid budget stuff, because pretty much most of the time when they've, you know, gone for a big budget thing out of the gate, it has not panned out for them. Um, and, uh, you know, they need to stick to what they do well. And, and, you know, like, I think they were behind the Robin Hood movie from a handful of years ago that cost like a hundred million dollars and flopped tremendously. So, you know, I think that, but yeah, that, that, that Robin Hood movie feels like it's them trying to do what other studios are doing. Them trying to do like, you know, a, uh, a gritty Nolan reboot kind of thing. Like, I don't know, it, something can be said about how Lionsgate is succeeding today by doing thing, things that other studios aren't doing. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, they're yeah. like chasing yeah. Kevin Smith, not doing a streaming service. And it's interesting, like, you know, everybody's trying to be Marvel and maybe the studios that end up uh, doing well are going to be the ones that are not trying to replicate that. Well, yeah, you even had like Lionsgate was behind La La Land, you know, and, yeah. you know, and, and so I don't know, there, there's, there's things where, and again, that was at a time it was a mid-budget musical at a time when musicals, uh, Knives Out, another very good example of like, you know, Lionsgate doing mid-budget well. Um, but then they had like the Divergent series really went off the rails for them. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, uh, uh, they had... Um, Did they do uh, Maze the, Runner too? 
Yeah, they had the. Well, uh, I don't think they were behind Maze Runner, but I also think they had like okay. the Power Rangers reboot in 2017, which went really bad for them. Gods of Egypt, you know, we yeah. can go down the list of the Last Witch Hunter. But again, um, er- yeah. everything you're saying here sounds like stuff that they're trying to replicate the formulas of like you know bigger studios, and I feel like their strong the strong part is like when they're trying to do their unique you know those the smaller movies that we don't even talk about on this podcast. That's where they're succeeding at. Right, but so. even like John Wick, like the first one was a very quiet success and it was more or less almost like one of those direct-to-video type movies. Yeah. You know, it did get, and, and that just Now it's of, a franchise. It blossomed into a franchise, but again, that's because that started from what they did well. They didn't overextend, so anyway, this is kind of getting off track, but you know, <laughs> but, but uh, if Lionsgate, this is, this is all sort of proof that if Lionsgate does what they do well, they can very much exist in this business, I believe. Another thing I want to mention is Warner Brothers obviously is merging with Discovery Plus uh, or Discovery. And uh, I think the plan was to merge Discovery Plus with HBO Max. But now that's not happening. Oh, boy. Yeah. So um, so speaking of much bigger companies. So last year we ended up with Warner Brothers Discovery as a result of AT&T selling Warner Media to Discovery. Um, HBO Max is under the Warner Media umbrella. That is the company's big streaming service, obviously. They also have Discovery Plus, which does well enough for what it is, but it's not like a marquee streaming service. Um, it's cheaper, too, which is important. But the idea was announced last year that they were gonna, the plan was to merge both of those streaming services into one big service. It might just be called Max. They haven't announced a title yet, but, you know... Now, and again, as things continue to shift, a report from the Wall Street Journal revealed that the idea now is to, they're still going to have that merged service, whatever it ends up being called. It might just be called Max, whatever. But they're still going to allow Discovery Plus to be subscribed to as its own thing as well. And a big part of that has to do with the fact that Discovery Plus is much cheaper and they don't want to alienate those subscribers who just want that and don't want to pay 15 or 16 a month for HBO Max or whatever the name becomes after the services are merged. So uh, just sort of a shift in strategy here in, in attempting to keep as many streaming subscribers as possible. So wait, I'm a little confused. So th- will they eventually be merged? Well, no. no. So again, you're going to get the merged service. HBO yeah. Max and Discovery Plus will merge into, I, again, let's just say it's called Max. So let's say that will... Max will offer everything HBO Max offers and Discovery Plus offers. But for those who want it, you could but you can still buy them just separately. Get, okay. You could okay. just still not not necessarily HBO Max, but you could just get Discovery Plus. I don't like the idea of all the Discovery Plus content being on HBO Max. I don't think Max. a lot of people do, but hopefully they'll keep it separated enough where if you are a subscriber, it's not going to cloud up your page too yeah. much if they're smart. But um, and by the way, that's know. not me like uh, looking down upon the content on Discovery Plus. I like a lot of that stuff. A lot of the, um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the restaurant stuff, the home stuff, like all, all that stuff is stuff for me. But like, I feel like on my screen, my Apple TV, the tiles, the, the wall of tiles, mm-hmm. you know, I want to go to HBO to watch some movies or TV, you know, like some drama TV, you know, like the, I feel like it's different categories the brands are very much not, but I mean, that was part of the, that was part of the thinking and the merging of Warner Media and Discovery is that they were two very different entities that covered different parts of the entertainment business very well. And so that if you merge those two things under one roof, you could potentially have a big player that 
had enough reach to survive. Um, but yeah, I do think like for as much as, you know, I would want to watch like battle bots or a bear girl show. I don't know if I initially need those things on the HBO max homepage, um, because I am going to those two things for different reasons. Um, but again, that's why, you know, so at least people who want discovery plus can get that independently, but it will be interesting to see how this all unfolds. Okay, we have some more to talk about, including Fast and the Furious and the Snyderverse. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Okay, so let's talk about Fast and the Furious first uh they just came out with a, a super bowl spot or a new trailer for fast 10 uh, did you happen to see this this trailer right yeah uh that i actually had to ask this earlier i thought it might have been the longest trailer ever for a mainstream blockbuster i was wrong about that i guess cloud atlas had a longer one but it is almost four minutes long which <laughs> for most people don't know so like a teaser trailer might be like a minute to 90 seconds uh, and like a standard trailer might be like two minutes, usually no more than like two and a half minutes. Um, even three minutes is considered very long for a trailer. Uh, so this one being like four minutes long was crazy. Um, and the trailer itself is absolutely bananas. Uh, uh, did you watch it, Peter? Yeah, no, it, it looks crazy. I, I will say it doesn't seem like like as crazy as the last couple. Like it doesn't seem like there's any shots of you know, cars going to space or cars jumping between buildings in Dubai. John Cena, John Cena punches a man through a floor <laughs> and hard enough that the building seems to collapse. And okay. we are now at a point where that is not the craziest thing. Like that is a benchmark for not as crazy. Yes, that, that, that is true. I, you know, I'm excited to see this. I'm excited to see this is the first part of the finale, right? Uh, do we know what the next one's called? Cause this is no. fast 10. This is Fast, Fast X. X, you know, much yeah. like Jason X in space. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. They, I, This one, the production was a bit of a mess, and they had, like, Louis, Louis Leterrier, I think is how you say his name, who directed, like, the Incredible Hulk and the Transporter movies. He had to come in, like, two weeks into production um, because Justin Lin said, I've had enough of this. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so, he, you know. He, 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 pull, he pulled a Dwayne Johnson and was like, I'm not going to work with Vin Diesel. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I saw there was a thing that Variety just published that, like, he literally had to pretty much rewrite the entire script, like, on the flight to set, um, oh because, like, the third act was changing, so then he kind of had to rewrite everything on the fly, and, um, yeah. yeah, there's, like, the crazy reveal that Jason Momoa, who's playing the villain, was, like, tied to Fast Five, and, like, he somehow was, like, left for dead in the crazy bank robbery, but, like, we just didn't see him as part of that, and so, like... <laughs> I, I love don't know. It's just like it's, it's, it's so ridiculous. The this is the only franchise that gets away with stuff that ridiculous because it is very ridiculous. But um, yeah, and this whatever is an, gets to, you know these are ensemble movies, and like you know this one brings in Jason Momoa as you mentioned, Brie Larson, uh, Rita Morano, and uh, Vin Diesel at the event premiering this trailer was asked who he would want in the final installment, and you know. In quick order, he he knew exactly who, who he wants. And he said Robert Downey Jr. And he said, um, here's the quote. Without telling you too much about what happens in the future, there's a character who is the antithesis, antithesis of Dominic Toretto. 
who is promoting AI and driverless cars and the philosophy that with that, that goes your freedom. And there is somebody that believes that's the future and that at direct odds with the Toretto mentality, unquote. So I, I think Vin Diesel wants Robert Downey Jr. to come in and basically be um, a, be the Fast and the Furious Tony Stark, the Fast and the Furious Elon Musk, who's in charge of like AI self-driving cars, which I'm sure is going to be awesome action scenes, right? Like the family going against like these uh, AI controlled uh, cars don't even have people in them. <laughs> but uh, what do you think of Robert Downey Jr. possibly coming to the franchise? I, we don't know if he is interested, but him saying it publicly, you know, he also said publicly that he wanted The Rock to come back for the last one. And The Rock was like, uh, no. <laughs> so, so it doesn't mean that we're going to see Robert Downey Jr. But wh- what do you think? Um, I think this is like a, like a wish list item because I think like, it's one of those things where Robert Downey Jr. hasn't really done a big franchise thing since Avengers Endgame. Um, even though he kind of tried with Doolittle, um, I mean, you have pretty much every other major movie star in the world in here, but I think my concern right now is that these movies are already so tremendously expensive and like to the point where they, they're getting prohibitive in terms of ever getting to profit in theaters. And a lot of that has to do with like these insane cast salaries because all these actors are commanding multi-million dollar salaries. And if you get Robert Downey Jr. to appear in the last fast mainstream fast and furious movie, like the last main, can you imagine how much money he's going to be able to ask for? Do you know how much money he reportedly made on Avengers Endgame? Yeah, but that's because he had a back end deal. But I, know, I think it, I know, wasn't I it something like sixty million dollars? Seventy five million. Seventy five million. Yeah, he made like an insane, and that's that one movie, by the way. He's made, you know, he made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. But the pro- the thing is, if he's gonna do Fast and Furious Eleven, it's not because it's some big artistic thing he wants to do. It's gonna be because he <laughs> knows, you know, it's a way to get his name out there and and maybe get something else he wants made. I don't know, but but yeah, so he's gonna ask for a ridiculous amount of money. And at this point, I just don't know if the series it, needs it. Although I do, although I can see why that would be really appealing. It seems to me he's worth like thirty or forty million dollars if he's not the lead, because like you know, Captain America: Civil War, he was forty million dollars. Avengers: End, uh, Age of Ultron, forty million dollars. I mean, these are movies from what ten years ago, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know if he gets that, but I'm saying because especially because with a with a cast this big, he may not yeah. be getting as much screen time. But you know, you add another. Let's say he gets twenty million and maybe a sliver of of the back end. You know, not as much as he'd get on Endgame, but a sli- You know, I mean, you're yeah. taking you're taking another thirty, forty million off the bottom line, maybe depending on how that all goes. For does that boost your box office by two hundred million? I don't know, maybe not. And so it's hard for me to imagine a scenario by which it makes sense. But I just um, wonder, like, creatively, would it be appealing to him? And I, you've already answered no. And I, I would actually double down on no, because he's basically going to be Tony Stark, the bad guy, Tony, the version of Tony Stark. Oh, and yeah. he's not even going to be in, like, a robotic suit or anything. He's going to be behind a computer, you know, controlling AI self-piloting cars and stuff yeah it sounds very it seems very hard for me to believe and again without like a ridiculous amount of money that that he would 
And again, the other thing with Robert Downey Jr. is he's made his ridiculous money. I don't even know if that's appealing to him anymore. Like I, I you know, because he's I, that man has made. You know, he's like that that scene with Walter White in the fifth season of Breaking Bad where they have the storage unit full of cash, like more money that he could spend in a lifetime. And it's just like, cool, you don't need to do this anymore because, you know, what do you... I, so, I don't know. But it, do, it, do, you, do you ever think that there's an amount? Like, it, it seems to us like there would be an amount at some point. There'd be an amount where, like, it, like I'm fine with this amount, whatever that amount be. But I feel like when we look at the richest people in the world, you look at the Elon Musk, you look at the Bill Gates, you look at the, you know, the 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 biggest Warren Buffetts, like they're all still working their ass off in some way. To I mean, Bill Gates is working his ass off to actually you know help the world. But other than that, like you know, I mean, like I don't know. I'm not sure if there is an amount of money that like you're just like I'm I'm done. I know maybe not done, but I'm just saying that I think at this point in his career, it's not purely money motivated. Right. Yeah. So like, there's gotta be a balance there. And I, and I just wonder if the balance in this particular franchise, I do think that the one thing that might get him there is depending on who directs, depending on how much he actually has to deal with Vin Diesel and depending on who comes back, because there's a lot of guys he likes and respects in this movie, you know, like potentially like where, you know, you might have Charlize Theron back. You might have, you know, he's worked with Brie Larson, obviously. So there's some people who could maybe talk him into it. Like, let's say Brie Larson had a really good time making it. She might be able to be like, yo, Robert, it was a lot of fun. Come do it. Come hey, make your 20 li- don't million. Listen, don't listen to the stories about Vin Diesel or rewriting the script, uh, you know, on the way to set. It was totally awesome. Yeah, who, know, who knows, man? I don't know. <laughs> um, So we'll see. I, I just feel like, because I think the budget on this one is close to 300 million now. I think the reported figure was and like, We've talked about this so many times. When you get to that budget level, it's so hard to actually become profitable. And, you know, these movies at one point were so profitable. And it's just like it's upsetting to me to see like franchises that studios rely on get to a point where, you know, they're so expensive that they're almost cost prohibitive. It's so weird. I agree. Okay, let's get to our last story for today. And that is that, you know, with all the stuff going on with James Gunn and Pete Saffron and the future of the DC you it doesn't seem like the Snyderverse has any part in that future and uh the the Snyder fans have taken to Twitter and social media with the hashtag uh sell the Snyderverse uh wait sell, sell the, the Snyder... Snyderverse to Netflix okay so yeah it's hard it's a long ridiculous hashtag uh to which James Gunn has actually responded to on Twitter uh, I love that he's actually responding to this stuff. And he said, quote, I have to say, this has got to be the wackiest hashtag ever, uh, ever since one. Netflix hasn't expressed any interest, although we've discussed other stuff. And two, Zach hasn't expressed any interest and seems to be happy doing what he's doing. And yes, we have talked, unquote. I think there's a... a Aside from the ridiculousness of like the fans think that, you know, we got this to happen with HBO Max. We got them to release the Snyder Cut. Let's now get them to sell the Snyderverse to Netflix. That's not going to happen. That's ridiculous. I don't even, do you have anything to even say about that? I mean, this all started just because, you know, fans, these, these, because here's the thing. I really like a lot of Zack Snyder's movies and I really like Zack Snyder's Justice League a lot. And, I think there really probably was a good two and a half hour cut of that movie, but um, 
yeah, this just needs to go away. Like it's, it's time, man. Like it's time to move on. And like, it's, it's crazy that this got as much traction as it did. Cause even Zack Snyder, he's busy with other stuff. And he, if there's in a reply to that tweet, James Gunn was like, I've talked to Zack Snyder. He wished me well about our plans. And like, they have moved on. Zack Snyder doesn't even, hasn't even suggested he's interested in doing this. And the whole pitch from these people is that they're essentially pitching, like maybe doing an animated thing at Netflix to like finish the stories out. And like that way the actors would actually agree to do it. And I just, Mm, until you said animated, Ryan, I was totally not on board to this, but animated, I could see them doing that. But that's that's what the pitch really was. I think the people that I saw that because there is like the really like people that are just like asking for the world and not having their heads on straight because like Ben Affleck's not going to do it like the, yeah. Henry Cavill's probably not going to do it now. Like like it, it I, and it would get expensive and, and whatever. Like but if you do these animated movies and just have them come in and do the voices, eh, maybe. But there's no way given that like James Gunn and Peter Safran are trying to put together a cohesive universe now that they are going to create any brand confusion or fuel this crap anymore. Yeah. It is time to move on. And like, it is just, <laughs> just uh, I don't know, man. And again, See, I'm what, saying I, this, what I was thinking was I was thinking possibly like a comic book or graphic novel that could like, I, I think everything. someday years down the line, we might get something like that. Like they even did that with like William Gibson's script for alien three that never saw the light of day eventually. But like, there's no way anytime in the near future while this stuff is still brewing that we're ever going to see that. I agree. Uh, but there's a couple interesting things here. I think um, Netflix hasn't expressed any interest, although we've discussed other stuff, which is interesting to me because that su- seems to suggest that uh, DC might be doing some stuff on Netflix in the future. Yeah, that does seem to be the case, the, the, the implication here. And we know that, David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, is willing to let things go. Like there was the Batman Cape Crusader animated series that was going to be on HBO Max. That is getting shopped elsewhere. And Netflix has been pegged as one of the big suitors for that project. So who knows? Um, You know, and James Gunn has even said there might be Elseworlds tales in the new DC and those will be labeled as such. So who knows, maybe Netflix pulls like something with DC like they did with Netflix years ago to get those Defenders shows, you know, um, uh, because that would be like a lot of money for Warner Brothers probably. But um, I don't know, like that. That's a pretty interesting nugget that I'd be curious to see where that goes. Yeah. The, the other piece of this puzzle uh, really quickly is he says that, yes, he has talked to Zack Snyder. Uh, and you mentioned earlier that it was about, uh, you know, Zach wished him well and stuff. Do you think he talked to Zack Snyder about possibly being part of the future of DC in any way? No, no. no. Okay. No one, because <laughs> one, because Zach is busy. Like he's oh, making... oh, yeah. actually that response that you mentioned was in response to someone saying, what did y'all talk about? And he said, he contacted me to express his support with about my choices. He's a great guy. Again, he se- seems really happy with the massive world building he's doing now. Yeah. Cause he's making rebel moon for Netflix, which is a big potential franchise thing. And then it's he's his got, version of star Wars kind of right. And, and then he's got a sequel to army of the dead that he's probably going to make right after that. So his next f- four years are spoken for, you know, like, and that's, and that's if rebel moon gets a sequel, then, you know, you've got another thing he's got to do in there. He's fine. 
you know, like he's busy. He's and these are things that belong to him, you know, because I think the thing that he probably learned with the DC stuff for as much as he really seems to still back the fans and everything else that like, you know, that doesn't belong to him. And I think at this point, he's more interested in stuff that does belong to him. Yeah, I I think he's moving on. I don't think we're going to see anything until they have the multiverse in DC, which is going to eventually happen. And I think we will eventually see Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck back uh, for some movie, some kind of like crossover movie. I don't think Ben Affleck's ever coming back. I think at some point, like maybe even just like one scene. I think there's too much money to be had. There, maybe no? sometime down the line i think he's i think he's Affleck's done. finally because like if you just saw the trailer for air that dropped yesterday the nike movie he directed like i think he's happy to get away from some of this and have more time for stuff like that that's my guess okay we've hit our heart out so you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com you can find this podcast on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and please rate and review this podcast on apple Podcasts. tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you on monday bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.